<laughs> he wants me to do him a favor. <laughs> My knee aches every single day. Twice as bad when it is cold. You have any idea how long the winter lasts in this country? Huh? Tell him, Dimitri. Well, it depends. Silence! Alright, hey guys, and welcome to the Three Drinks In podcast, episode number 257. I'm your host, Vince. Over there is your host, Phil. Hey. There he is. In this episode, we are talk, uh, doing another Shaken Not Stirred, talking about Goldeneye, Pierce Brosnan's entrance into this uh, franchise. Before we get started, we want to ask you to please subscribe to the podcast on any of the streaming services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Make sure that you leave five-star ratings and maybe even... Uh, even a review, we'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Three Drinks In Pod on both. You can like us on Facebook and you can email us at Three Drinks In Podcast at gmail.com. Last of all, don't forget to check out our merchandise over at tpublic.com. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. I, I was trying to figure out when our first you know episode of this series was and it was did you (laughs) (laughs) I just looked it up now February 1st of 2016 oh okay 2016 so my son had not been born yet He'll be seven in May. Uh, that checks out. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that, that's right. Sounds uh, about right. Donald Trump was only 11 days into his presidency. <laughs> we were so young then. Oh, God. Yeah, we were just kids. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's so it took us six years to get to. What I think is the first Bond movie that I ever saw, I mean, certainly in the theaters, but like, I think it might have been the first one that I had seen, like, straight through. Like, we watched them whenever they came on, you know, TBS, when Dad like would... On the, like on the Superstation. <laughs> Superstation. Yeah, I'd always seen bits of them. Yeah, but like, you know, like we never sat down, and like, you know, like, they'd be on, and I'd be watching, like, the scene from, you know... Goldfinger, where they, you know, they they gas everybody and they, you know, they they try and blow up the gold or whatever, and he'd say, "Oh, watch this part. This is good." Or watch the car here. This is cool. And you know, but it was never like an actual choice to sit down and go, "Okay, now we're going to watch this movie because we want to." They all seemed really, really old to us, you know. Yeah, because they were. I mean, it wasn't like they didn't. You know, sure. They were at best, yeah. they were forty years old. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. The- I was watching, you know, Diamonds Are Forever on TBS, and you know, there was Sean Connery. He was the first one. I mean, it was an old movie even then. So. Yeah, but um, 
but I I actually have very clear memories of going to the like the new city uh, cinema six, mm-hmm. and uh, and seeing Goldeneye. You know, it's a, it's a long 1995. I was 14 years old. It was a it was a big deal because there hadn't been a Bond in a long time. Yeah, and um, when I like, it, there was just so much for such a strange movie. Um, franchise there's been so much behind the scenes like legal battles you know which is the reason that timothy dalton never came back because they were still tied up in all these legal battles about i don't know who owned what character and this plot and it took so long that timothy dalton was like well now i'm older and i don't want to do it anymore because like i'm i'm old i couldn't wait you know so i remember when it first came out that like it was a big deal that they had Bond again. Like, oh, he's finally back <laughs> in a more modern setting of 1995. <laughs> you know? So there was there was a lot of excitement for it to come back, which is a little strange. But yeah, no, it, the, it, you know, the other two years. weren't very good. <laughs> you know, yeah, six years is a long time. You know, especially when they would you know like they would crank these things out you know in a very short period of time i mean i don't know what the shortest you know distance is between two bond films but like it's less than 2 years in some cases like yeah less than 2 years for some of those um Roger Moore films they came out with like a couple years between them yeah there really was and this lot. was the this was the first one that didn't have any material from any book or short story it was like oh. totally new well, the only thing about it, interestingly, the only I mean, thing that has any, you know, like outside of the character of James Bond and M and whatever, but the only relationship that this film bears to Ian Fleming is the name of the movie. Goldeneye, just incidentally, was the name of his house in Jamaica. He had a like a like a bachelor pad or whatever in Jamaica, they would hang out there to convalesce or whatever you did. If you were like a, you know, mid 20th century, former British spy or whatever, you would just hang out there and drink quinine and chill. What an awesome name for a house. <laughs> right? <laughs> Goldeneye. Goldeneye. You know, yeah, okay. Guy had a flair for the dramatic to be sure. Yes. And this one was helped along by the video game tie in, which had, no right to be as good as it did. Yeah. And it was so unbelievably successful <laughs> that people who hadn't even seen the movie were like, maybe I should watch it. I don't know. Is this any good? Because the game live, still lives on much longer than the film does. But I, I think it sort of buoys the film a little bit because people are like, oh, yeah, that was based on a movie. Yeah. I mean, and it was like... Based on the movie, there was so much that was... Re- I mean, because the, the game came out two years later. Uh, yeah, right? 97. Yeah, 97. Right. And, um, it, you know, the thing about the game that was so great... We could, we, we could do a whole podcast just on the game itself. Because it was... But, it, like, it just... It was the movie. They didn't take too many liberties with it. Like, you know... you know. Of all the characters that that are bad at this, like super Superman is the worst. Whenever you make a Superman movie or a, a game, it's nothing like the movie. He flies around and like runs out of energy, and like you know, it's a stupid idea for a you know for a you know for a game. Um, but even when you know you were 
playing a game based off of a of a popular IP. Like the worst case scenario, of course, was ET. Had a dreadful game. What was that for? Like the Atari or the or the N sixty? I think it was Atari. Oh, that was the Atari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in the eighties. Yeah, I'm almost at N sixty four. I meant to say the you know the um uh, uh the first the, the first Nintendo. I couldn't think Nintendo. of it was, which one. Mm. Uh, and I, there was actually a really good documentary about that game, but also there was one just about video games in general that dealt with that guy, and he was just like, yeah, I was told to do this in, like, a weekend. Like, I had no time to develop this incredibly complex game. And, like, he met Steven Spielberg, who was no help at all, and, you know, they just came out with this piece of junk. But that was, the you know, the example of, like, making a game so dissimilar from from what you recognize that it was both unpleasant and difficult. And so, you know, it had no connection. But the GoldenEye video game was just the movie put on, to, you know, into a game. And they found a way to, to make you an active um, character in that story. And it was just really, really well done. But... Um, Good times. Yeah. So did you... Re-watch, I mean, I assumed you rewatched this. I didn't have to. I thought about it. And I'm like... I yeah, did. I, I could. Went back, I, I went back and watched it yesterday. Like <laughs> I, I wanted to, and I just like I didn't really have the time. And I go, do I really? So I, I, I read a few things about it. Like I read there was a, like an oral history uh, report done. I think for Thrillist or somebody. It was like done like six or seven years ago. Um, just just about the stunt, like at the the the, the opening stunt for the movie. And so like from that, I got a lot of information like they they talked to martin campbell the director they talked to barbara broccoli um to, to pierce brosnan to this like to the stunt guy and it was about the movie in general but it was um um but it was mostly about that stunt and i um i i felt like i really didn't i've seen the movie so many times because <laughs> it's just so damn good that i'm like i don't need to see this like there's highlights of it sure that are great and um and so, like, you know, this is going to be kind of a love fest, which is, like, unusual for us with these movies. We kind of like, yeah, we appreciate the Sean Connery ones because it set up the franchise. And Roger Moore was so, you know, goofy. Wasn't that fun? And then Dalton was just like, okay, well, I could see where they're trying to go with this. But this was, like, a real movie. Like, they really seemed to, I don't know, I don't know what it was about it that made it you know, so accessible to us is if it was just like of its time, like, you know, we, we, it was made in to us, you know, what was a, you know, a modern method using, you know, modern technology and, you know, it had a modern sensibility about it. It took into account all the, you know, the events that were actually happening in the world, like the end of the cold war and the fall of the Berlin wall. Um, like it just, there was a sense of sort of realism to it that was missing in a lot of the other movies. You know, even if it dealt with the Cold War and like Smirsch and all the other, you know, actual, you know, Russian spy agencies and what have you in the KGB, there was always something a little bit like weird about it. Like it was not meant to, to be an accurate reflection of what was going on in any way and that wasn't the case here it was very much like everyone's all business about stuff and they you know it was still a light-hearted film at times which was great but the underpinning 
of seriousness and you know, the, the lack of goofy nonsense, you know, was really, you know, it sort of captivated you and it made it feel like, you know, this was something worthy of your attention, you know? Yeah. Um, although, so I was watching it and I've seen it a bunch of times and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch it and, or at least as much as of it as I can. And it does look more dated than it used to. Like there are still funny, you know, like you can still hear the usual bullet ricochet sound effects when they're like shooting each other, you know, and, uh, <laughs> the, the same explosion, you know, like it's the exact same sound effect that you heard 40 years ago in the explosion. So they look better, but you're like, that's a, that's yep. There it is. And um, so it, it does look like an old bond movie now. You know, especially when you watch like uh, Skyfall or something and, and it's like, you know, filmed digitally and it looks amazing. And like you're watching this one, you're like, this was filmed with a camera <laughs> somewhere <laughs> on location. On film. On film, you know, like it, it, yeah. it, it's dated. But you're right. I mean, it's not a it's not a B movie action thing anymore. Now it's just an action movie. With a man named James Bond. So it doesn't have this goofy sensibility to it where like the car's doing barrel rolls and, um, you know, civilians are gawking awkwardly at the action around them. And there's no banana peel side effects when like, you know, people are falling and slipping and yeah, other or, nonsense like that. Or British Indian tennis stars, you know, whacking bad guys yeah. in the back of a rickshaw as they go through the Punjab. Like, Jesus. Right. Like, there's no <laughs> there's no weird slapstick or anything like that. And yet there's so funny stuff, too. Like, I, I had forgotten that, you know, right after the unbelievable stunt that opens the film, where, where you watch, like, the faceless James Bond, you just assume it's James Bond, jump off a dam. And like, so apparently this, so this stunt was done at a dam in Switzerland and it wasn't the biggest one that they could have jumped off of, but it was an event. <laughs> <laughs> that one's too big. <laughs> no, they, they, they could have done it, but, but it was one of those things like you, you don't know how things are going to look on film until later. Um, so they went to this really tall one and they, they were going to do it there. But it just didn't look right, and they they went to this one in Switzerland, which is not as tall, but is in like a gorge, so it's very very narrow, and the yeah, uh, the sides of it, yeah, <laughs> the, the, like the sides are very sheer and steep, so like it looked a lot bigger than it actually was. To be fair, it was still really tall, and the guy when he jumped off of it passed out <laughs> because you're going down with such speed. And then, then, you know, then you hit like 10 meters per second and you're at terminal velocity and then you get yoinked back because the bungee cord is going to pull it. So all of a sudden all the blood goes from one part of your body back to your head and it it's going to knock you unconscious just like the way that it moves through your body. But he says like, you know, all I had to do was make sure that I got the gun out of my like vest or whatever and, and then pointed it. He didn't have to have to have to do much else because then like it cut to. You know, the thing firing the little bolts and then it kind of, you know, pulls them back down to the bottom. But, um, 
that's what lost my train of thought with it. But um, right. So, yeah, oh yeah. So, so then, and then like the, the next thing you do is you see him in the bathroom, upside down right. in the can, and I. Uh, it's just that that's just funny, you know, and like the whole squeaky wheel as he's wheeling the the crate of explosives, <laughs> which is pulled out of some Western movie. That's not, that's not like it, it, these are all re- recognizable gags, but they're not distracting from the overall seriousness of the film kind of a thing. Like it's light, but it's not, you know, undercutting. Right. So the th- here's the thing with this one is and I know that there's plenty of people will come and tell me I'm wrong, but I don't care. This is the best Bond movie. Completely. Like, it's it's the best one in terms of action because they're all real stunts. It's the best one in terms of uh, story because it's not overly goofy and silly and it's somewhat believable. You know, it's got real actors. It has Judy Dench. It has Pierce Brosnan, who's very good. Um, Sean Bean is very good. Uh, Robbie Coltrane. Yeah, like I mean, they, they have real people doing these these throwaway roles now. I mean, Emma's not a big part of this movie. No, she's, you know? she, she has like one scene. Yeah, a couple scenes maybe, and then that's it. I mean, Robbie Coltrane too. He only has that one scene really. And they kept Desmond Lewin, who didn't like. He didn't take you out of it, kind of a thing. You know, like he's he was always there for the for the comedic relief, and he still sort of is. He has this like avuncular relationship with Bond, but it doesn't make you feel. It doesn't seem stupid or out of place. You know, it, it's it still works, even though it's a you know it's a relic of the old movies. Right, and I mean that part's probably the goofiest, but you need that. I mean. Even Shakespeare has scenes, one scene in these tragedies where you just let the air out of the room for a minute, you know, just everybody take a breath before we get into the meat and potatoes of this, where we start shooting each other and there's betrayals and and long lost friends coming back from the dead. Let's talk about the gag where his sandwich looks like a bomb, but isn't really. It's just a sandwich, (laughs) like, you know, you know, don't touch that. That's my lunch, like that kind of stuff, you know, the, the, the gizmos and the gadgets are are good and interesting and useful. They're not like over the top quite yet. You know, like the the, the grappling belt in his in his belt, you know, that kind of stuff, the bomb pen, you know, the laser watch. It's the best Bond movie. It just is. Yeah. It it takes all the things about the previous 16 Bond films. <laughs> 16. I know. Things that, you know seem and we remember we were starting to watch the the beginning ones and we we're like oh they didn't have this they didn't have that and like the bond films kind of like picked up these habits and these traditions as they went you know the the opening that kind of sets the stage or or the characterization and the song that plays over the credits and like the henchman with the weird gimmick and things like not all the bond movies had every little thing in them but this one took all the best parts of those things and threw them in. So it has the, the henchman with a gimmick, but it's still kind of believable. Like you kind of buy it that she squeezes them to death with her thighs, you know? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's better than the bowler hat with the razor blades in it. There's a lot more Slightly attractive more... to look at Femke Jensen doing that than some uh, yeah. stubby Korean gentleman. 
you know, there's there's the villain with the secret side organization, but it's not like world conquest. It, it's just we're here to make a lot of money. And it's, you know, the personal revenge of the head guy is not what like everybody else is working towards. You know, you have space lasers, but like they're just satellites. They're used EMPs, which are a real weapon. They're not using yeah. diamonds to fire laser beams, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> like they take a little bit of everything and they put it in and it works so well when you have good actors and a competent director. Alan Cumming. Yes. I, I was just I'm thinking like all these different things. So like you're right. You have like the crazy villain, but there is a cast of villains really that populate this this movie and all of them are good. You know, there's like the, the the corrupt Russian general. There's the disgraced and you know left for dead MI6 agent, and then the goofy computer programmer, kind of a thing like that. Like that, that's a real opportunity for a character. And you know, when when you go back and you look at like let's you know take if you take, if you take a look at, at Casino Royale, there are. There are no characters in that movie at all, if you think about it. I mean, I like that movie a lot. I think it was, if you're going to do it like the next installment of this franchise, that's a different way to go and it makes sense. And it, it sort of like ensures that you're not going to go off the rails like, you know, the Brosnan films went off the rails by the end there. So, but you do sacrifice the fact that everybody in the movie is really the same. They're all rather bland. I mean, Felix is just a guy. I like Jeffrey uh, Wright. I think he did a great job. But, like, you know, he doesn't do or say anything. He's just kind of cool, and, like, there's Jeffrey Wright. And, you know, the the only kind of interesting guy is, like, the uh, the African warlord who, sh- who shows up in, um, at, the, <laughs> at the casino with a machete who was, like, super sweaty. Like, that was his thing. He was just very <laughs> shiny the whole time. Like, why is this man... Covered in Vaseline, like, you know, like Ivan Drago. I don't quite understand this. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like that movie was devoid of personality in that regard. Like, there was just nobody in it who was all that interesting. Bond was supposed to be your inter- interesting guy, and he was pretty deadpan most of the movie. So right. this like, he was getting his, his personality in that film. They didn't have one at first. Right. You know, and... Th- yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying, and, like, this one... You know, this one has all of that. You're right. That's a, that's a very good way of looking at it. Like they, they, they cherry-picked all the great stuff about the old movies. They left out all the bullshit. And they, you know, you're, it, it's a little lean on thing. It doesn't have like a car that does something cool. The car literally doesn't do anything at all. He literally drives it for four seconds. Um and and it was it was it was very very grounded for a movie that has a, a lot of different characters. Um, you know, the plot of it is not far-fetched at all, you know, so. Yeah, well, they take it very, very seriously. They play it real straight. Um, I I think Pierce Brosnan does a, a very good job, too. He's the kind of Bond that reminds me of Sean Connery, in which he has no hesitation in murdering anybody, you know, like he's violent and he's ruthless and He's funny. Like he gets his lines in, you know, because he kind of takes it like this is the first time I also think when they were doing these Bond movies, you know, they were just, you know, the guy was just whatever. This is the very first one where they start to sort of hint that the 
the man might actually have some sort of inner hidden life and like interior monologue perhaps how does a man live with himself doing these sorts of things how do you, how do you do this when you're just doing missions for a country constantly like you're a blunt secret agent you're a, a weapon and um you know, the other characters hint at that like he drinks a lot he makes jokes he sleeps with women and then leaves them but they don't beat you over the head with it either yeah. you know it just it just is it's just he goes that's just what i do and i have to do that and i'm I'm fine with it. I don't need therapy for this. You know, like that, that really started to bog down all the ones with, um, uh, what's his name? The new guy, Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig, like that became the thing where like they were really over explaining all that. So in this one, he murders them and he shoots them and he like has this cold, you know, icy stare when he does it. But he can kind of like make a crack about what happens afterwards, <laughs> you know, like when he kills Famica Jensen. And like oh, he yeah, has, he has no compunction about like he straps the thing to her because she's strapped to the helicopter and he shoots the helicopter and the helicopter goes down and she gets pulled by the helicopter and she gets pulled between the two tree trunks and she gets crushed to death. <laughs> and he and like as she's sitting there, you know, hanging dead from a tree, he just looks up and goes. She always did enjoy a good squeeze. <laughs> like, yeah, that is something a ruthless, cold-blooded killer might say. Yeah, no, it's... And <laughs> people who don't like Pierce Brosnan accuse him of really, of the films that he's in of having these like strange tonal shifts. And later on, I could definitely say that. But, you know... It's true of his of his version of Bond that yeah he does shift between being funny and being ruthless and back and forth and Connery did that too. Um, the problem comes later when like the movie does that and not just him. Like if the movie experiences total shifts between different kinds of characters and different and and like the plot gets you know it goes from being kind of straightforward and serious to really really stupid and goofy. Like then it doesn't work, but if if you have the one guy, you know, the, if if the one character d- does that and only him, then it'll be fine. Then then it works, um, and that's what they did here. Like everyone else is like super, like you know, Sean Bean is a great foil because he's such a serious guy all the time in every, in every movie he's ever been in. Like I've never seen him be funny. I don't think I don't think he has ever made a thing where he's actually humorous. Yeah, he like rarely smiles. <laughs> yeah, he's just yeah. so. You know, he's, you know, just so straightforward. Um, I remember watching the trailer for this recently. Like, they had, you know, like the theatrical trailer and then the one for the for, for TV. And um, the the unfortunate thing about <laughs> about the trailer, and I, I, I guess this was part of the marketing campaign, but they spoil the end of the movie. Like, the big reveal... At the end of the movie, is that it's it's really him the whole time? Oh, that guy in the beginning of the movie who you met for four seconds and it seemed really important, you know, he's actually the bad guy. Like hmm. that, that was revealed in in the trailer. Uh, was it? And I think you know, they always try to try to you know up the ante with these movies. Well, now it's you know his greatest enemy ever is really 006. I'm like. Okay, I guess you've never really met another double O. Like maybe you know, in one of the yeah, they were always one. sort of like talked about. 
Yeah, they're off they in the there. field, or they they were yeah. killed, and he was off to you know revenge their deaths or what have you. And um, but you didn't meet another one, and now here here you are, and he he ends up being the bad guy. But like, why would you just mention that in the trailer? That seems really and the pen thing too. They gave they gave the pen thing away. And, uh, you know, I guess, like, that kind of thing didn't bother anybody back then. Like, we're all obsessed with spoilers now, and don't ruin things for me. I haven't seen them. And there's so much content to absorb that, like, you want to make sure that no one tells you, a, you know, like a big thing before it happens. But that mustn't have been a big deal 35 years ago because everything was like that. Like, they gave you the whole movie, usually in the trailer. Like, I used to complain, like, I would leave a theater or put my, my fingers up in my ears you know when like 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 the new matrix film came out or whatever like I, you know i would say i don't want to see all this stuff because they're going to show you only the, the best exciting bits in the trailer and so you're going to miss it like you know which i kind of still do like um the uh, the tom cruise um uh, mission impossible movies like they might show you the big stunt in the trailer just to get you to go see it oh yeah well I'd definitely do that but, you know, back then they showed you the whole goddamn movie, <laughs> like a little bit from every moment of the film got cut into that minute and a half. And I'm like, yeah, that's that didn't seem to bother. We all went to the movie anyway. <laughs> we all had a good time. You know, I think they were kind of playing up the fact that it's a Bond movie and that Bond movies have a lot of action. Yeah, but they gave away plot, too, not just not just no, the, the explosions. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> no, I just I just thought it was interesting that like you know the, the the thing we all obsess about now as being a big problem you know didn't they we didn't care about it thirty years ago, and it didn't stop us from going to the movie that like, we still went, you know. So it's just a ch- just a change in 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 attitude and the way things are marketed, which I thought which I thought was fascinating. So anything you didn't like. I remember in the beginning, I had a hard time telling the two ladies apart, like when I was a kid. I don't know what it was, but like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't like, look anything else. Like, with Famica Jensen, you mean? Yeah, like I, I, I forget the name of the woman who played the other. I think she's Italian, um, but I don't know. When I, when I was a kid, they were both just pretty generically gorgeous you know women in their in their 20s but you know they don't look nothing alike they look a fair amount alike in some ways but you know they you know both have brown Why hair talking about they, yes they both have hair they also have skin <laughs> and eyes two of them each mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm trying to think i don't i don't really think there's a there, there's a lot about it that i don't I don't like. I mean, there's if there if there are, I'm I'm never gonna come up with them because all I do when I think about you know like the nooks and crannies of the, of the film is I I come up with more random things that I think are phenomenal. Like when he goes and he meets you know Valentin Dmitrovich Zukovsky, who's you know former KGB and now he runs a nightclub. You know, Mini Driver is in this movie. She plays the singer who can't sing. In the pink cowboy hat. Little, this is like before she had another comeback, right? I mean, 
No, she was she was famous at this mm. time. She wasn't like super famous, but she was making movies and like this was just a bullshit little part that like she was in the in the area when they when they filmed the movie. Like, hey, you want to be in the next James Bond movie? As like you know like you know awful cat singer number you know you know n- n- number five or whatever who ends up in the you know in in the front of the nightclub. But like I love that scene. He goes, "Hey, Bond, James Bond." <laughs> He calls him out on that. You know, my knee aches every single day. Twice as bad when it is cold. Do you have any idea how long the winter lasts in this country? <laughs> Tell him, Dimitri. He goes, well, it depends. Shut up. Like, it's there's no reason for that to be funny. Like, you don't need to have a funny bit there. But it's so great. <laughs> Everything about it is fantastic. Um, so No, I can't think of anything about it that I don't. I don't like. It's not a perfect film, I'm sure, if I thought about it for a minute. Like, I don't know, there's some bits about, like, the stealing of the helicopter that was kind of awkwardly shot. And, like, you know, part of, like, the things that I I recall feeling unclear about, I'm just thinking back to the first time I saw it when I was only, like, 14. And so some of the, you know, the... The intricacies of the, um, you know... The, you know, global political and um, economic uh, stuff was kind of o- over my head a little bit. Like I didn't quite understand everything that they were doing. But um, but no, I can't think of a single thing where I'm like, yeah, that that was kind of stupid. Like, no, nah, it was all it was all good. It, you know, at at worst, it was just it was just very good. You know, at at, at, at its best, it was it was fantastic. How about you? Is there anything that you don't like? Um, when I watched it again, there, there's only like one thing I could think of plot-wise, and I was like Googling it on Reddit, and I still couldn't figure it out. I mean, the only thing about the movie that doesn't really hold up is the music. The music is awful. Well, like, the, like or- the, 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 I can't quite talk tonight. The orchestrations, you mean? Yeah, the the score is not good. It's not a good score. It's like that early '90s. We're still hanging on to synth, yeah, but we're not sure what to do and like how to how to move away from that. It doesn't have like a traditional score. There's a lot of like pops and and clicks and like someone's on their keyboard, right. you know. And and then that really dates it. And it was distracting. You know, it makes me think of like my cousin Vinny. You know, like an early '90s. Like, we're not embracing grunge, but we don't know what to do. So, you know, here's my Casio. I'm like, okay. And it's not yeah. their fault. It's just a choice they made, but it really doesn't sound good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it was not a very expensive movie. Like, I'm just kind of flipping through to to figure out what the, like what the budget was, but it was like fifty million dollars. Or something like that. Like it was, yeah, fifty-five million bucks to make this movie. Like, that's I, I don't know what that is. You know, in today's money, it's just thirty years ago now. So you know, it's a pretty expensive movie. But you know, maybe it's it's you know it's a hundred million today. And I mean, I don't know what the, the like the so like the budget for so no time to die budget was. I'm gonna say two hundred and fifty. Yeah, so it was between two hundred and fifty and three hundred and one million dollars. Um, 
that's basically a, you make it for like half or a third. Right. Well, this says 55 million then is the equivalent to 107 million today. Yeah. So it's 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 more. It's you know, more, oh, but yeah. it's it's not you know it's not even close. Um. And uh, you know, and they they do a lot in this movie. Like they, you know, like one of the things that that bomb movies always try to do was try to be in lots of places at once. And so, you know, it starts off and he's in Siberia and then London and then France. And then like, there's just all over the globe. And this, this is the first one to shoot in Moscow. So they, they actually filmed in Russia for the first time. Um, you know, there's, there's like, there's a tank sequence. He's driving a tank through like, it's just, like I guess maybe like plot wise or like you know stunt wise that was the only part that seemed kind of dumb to me was that like why didn't he get into the tank? He kind of rides the tank on the outside like it's a convertible. Uh, yeah, I guess because he couldn't see. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 no, you but you couldn't see him. That was the thing. Like, what's the point of having James Bond in a tank if you can't see James Bond drive around in a tank? Like you know, like. In, in in reality, you'd need like eight guys to operate that thing, and, right? Yeah, you know, and you'd be in there looking through a little tiny slit in the in the armor, and you it's it's not as exciting as it as it sounds, but they you know they kind of fudge that stuff, and you know, hope no one you know makes too much of a stink about it. Mm. So well, that wasn't so good. <laughs> yeah, but like it doesn't but distract just, you. Take it doesn't take you out of it. So it's like oh, okay, I don't no, know. it's just like. The, the soundtrack is irritating, you know. Yeah, but um, the only thing that I couldn't make any sense of was in that beginning scene. His friend is really his enemy. He doesn't realize that his friend is like about to defect, and he's working with the Russian general in this uh, big scheme they've got going. Right, and they're gonna blow up the uh, chemical lab that shouldn't be existing so they're going to blow it up and they're under a cover on a mission and 006 gets captured right and he like the general has him at gunpoint and he's telling bond like come out or i'll execute your friend and bond like switches the timers and he's about to blow the place up and he counts down from 10 and then he shoots him the general and i'm like oh they just shot that guy that's what it's most you know make it a big surprise that he comes back later like, oh, I thought he was dead. It turns out they were in cahoots the whole time. And I'm sitting here going, okay, wait a minute, because now I'm an adult. <laughs> how, how did he shoot that guy and not kill him? And I'm like, well, maybe he used a blank. Like, maybe it was like, you know, it was staged, I'm assuming, for Bond's benefit to think that his friend had died. But in the exact same scene, when he's like wheeling the cart, yeah, he and one of the, the soldiers guy. like gets nervous, he shoots him. <laughs> And he kills that guy. And I was like, wait a minute. Uh, so it's a real gun? And how did he shoot that guy in the head? And then I like went on Reddit. And they're like, well, maybe he like missed. Or he like didn't quite shoot him in the head. Or hit him in the shoulder. And the soldiers didn't notice. And I was like, uh, whatever. Like, it's the only thing I could think of that didn't make any sense. Yeah, it's one of those things where like... You... You you can reason your way out of it, but every time you do, you come up with a thing like you know you're right. Like I always thought, like he shot behind his head, 
and right like he he faked it somehow yeah yeah and you know it's possible if everyone is you know in the room has their guns trained on bond and he's across the room and closer to you is the general with the 006 on his knees um you know theoretically if no one is looking this guy has no problem just murdering his soldiers it's not like it's a problem for him to be like hey i don't think he really killed that guy and then he got shot like it's not you know, you you can always reason your way out of the, the you know the, out of the excuse, um, but even then it's still kind of like even that's kind of thin. Like who cares? Like he just he pretended to shoot the guy and he didn't really shoot him. I always wondered, like I was never sure if he was there to defect, and that's how it happened, or. If, you know, he was there and he, like, pretended to die and then the place blows up. And it makes more sense if he's initially there to defect and then comes back as, like, you know, like the crime syndicate lord guy that he does at the end. Um, But I was wondering, like, if it was, like... um, They just captured him in that, you know, and they, like... The general convinced uh, Bond that he had shot the guy, even though he really didn't shoot the guy, and they just captured him to get information out of him. But Bond changing the timers, you know, 006 wouldn't have known that, and so, you know, he was bitter and mad at him, be, you know, because he didn't try to save him, kind of a thing, and that he you know, killed, didn't get, or didn't give him time to escape, and. The whole place blow up early, and that's why his face is all scarred. And the, um, oh, yeah. yeah. So like, I w- I just, I was never sure. And the movie doesn't tell you whether that not the intention was for him to defect, or the or it was that he was captured at that particular you know situation and then abandoned, and therefore he turned. And that's sort of a thing that's happened a few times. Is agents that you know like they that the they're they're always told like you know the same thing with uh mission impossible you know if you get caught you're on your own we're not coming to get you that's the whole thing about you know you being an unofficial operative is that we you know you agree to do it and we agree that we have deniability if you get caught mm. and so yeah i was never quite sure what it was that was you know the reason for his betrayal was it because he planned to do it all along or because you know the events at at the chemical f- uh, uh, plant made him realize that you know the hell with this i'm just going to you know just you know yeah i think it was that he was always going to yeah that that kind of makes more sense you know but in my and head like, i i never really thought about it cuz he does he does mention at one point when he first appears again later he's like i thought of asking you to join me but i knew you right. it was always to the mission and not your friends and that's when he like points to his face and he was like you know i got caught and you just like didn't even try to save me even though i was acting out the part you know like cuz he says to him like oh blow them all up and then he gets like fake shot but yeah. Bond changes the timer on it, and like he doesn't get, almost doesn't need to escape because the chemicals burn his face. And so he says, like, I, you know, you're not really my friend. Is basically what he what he throws back in his face. Like we acted like friends, but we were just comrades. That's and that's different. 
you know, like the personal loyalty wasn't really there, like all British people who did that to my parents. And that's why I'm getting revenge. And I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah, when you put all, all, all that together. And again, I haven't seen it in, in a while. Like, I've seen it so many it, times. But like, it's, it's really well written. Because I remember as a little kid, they, like you're right, like they steal that helicopter. And there's a whole scene where they steal the helicopter and it flies away because they don't realize it's being stolen. They think it was part of the air demonstration show or whatever they do with helicopters. I don't know. And... And that's it. And you're like, well, why don't they just go after the helicopter? And then there's scenes later where they're telling Bond that, like, you have to go find the person who fired this golden eye super weapon. And we don't think it's this Russian general that you know. And Bond goes, are these the same experts who told me that the helicopter was no threat and we should just let it go instead of chasing after it? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good line of dialogue that helps explain that scene. Good job, writers. Like, yeah. It's important to plug those those things before before they become plot holes. Who who wrote this movie? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. Some jerk. <laughs> some jerk. I I don't know. Some asshole. M- Michael France wrote the story, but like they said that a lot of people end up helping in writing it. Yeah. So we have so. two guys here: are, uh, Bruce uh, Firstine and Jeffrey Kane, who I know. Nothing really about them. Like Bruce Firestein has some things about. Um, you know, he has a longer, um, uh, a Wikipedia page. He's from Maplewood, New Jersey, of all places. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like the the other movies these guys are credited for are not particularly great. So there were probably a lot of people like kind of adding to it, which is fine. Yeah, that, that's usually what happens. Uh, I'm surprised they went back to the uh, schlubby money penny. Uh, well, I don't know if she's schlubby. I well, mean, I mean, I mean so, she doesn't look like a grandma. No, but, but she looks very normal compared to like Famke <laughs> Jensen. Yeah, that's that's Samantha Bond. Actually, that's her name. Her name is is Samantha yeah. Bond. Um, you know, fans of Downton Abbey will know her as. Uh, uh, the the main the, the main character's sister, she shows up in that show. Um, was wow. uh, oh, so it was uh, Lady So and So. Like I can't think of her of her. Uh, oh, Lady, Lady Painswick. Yeah, it's it's, it's like the most British names ever. The show was those are so ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean she kind of straddles that line. She's not any tea and crumpets for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah, there, she's. Not- She's like aggressively beautiful. flirting with him, and she's not. But like, there is that sort of sexual tension there, you know. Sort of, so somewhere. Like, I'm trying to think. I don't recall many of the of the money pennies, besides, you know, the new one, of course, who was just stunning. Um, and, the only there were really not many. No, they kept was, the same one for a long time. Was the, like, by then, she lady. was also very old. Yeah, it was the old lady, and um, and she began. She began kind of like Samantha Bond did, as like a middle aged woman, who was not you know not bad to look at, but was not you know Ursula Andress for Christ's sakes. Um, and uh, yeah, no, she she was she was okay. She I mean she and, she and she stays with it for you know all four of these movies. It's the same lady. Yeah, 
Well, you know, they, they did a good job with because of the way that Pierce Brosnan behaves in this one. You know, they always used to sort of flirt. And uh, Sean Connery always played it like, I always flirt. You know, like, that's just the way I am because I'm such a cad. And she always kind of gave him this like, oh, James, like, I'm married, you know, whatever. Whereas in this one, there's the sense that like, he's going to be like eternally lonely. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> he has that wounded sense to him. Yeah. And so like when she puts him down, she kind of, it's like, not like, oh, you, it's more like you don't actually have a chance because of who you are. Like right. your charms will literally never work on me. We're, we're completely incompatible people. You know, and there's like a sadness to that sort of exchange that's hidden with with the banter. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And, and that's I don't know. I kind of find that more interesting in some ways than some of the really dark stuff that you get with Daniel Craig. Like, oh, it's extremely interesting. <laughs> yeah, because it's subtext. It's subtext. And it's sort of, you know. You know, it. It's it's not just that it's subtext. It's just it's just touched upon very lightly. It's not it's not a major theme of the movie, but it it shows the you know a more dynamic character. Like he's got a lot of ability, and he's a more complex character in this movie. You know, I think more so than the than, than the Daniel Craig Bond, even though they tr- they really tried to make you think he was more complex than he was. Um, but in the in, and he's certainly more complex here than he is later on in the subsequent movies. And like one of my big complaints about um, Tomorrow Never Dies, and I have many. Um, so you save some of them. <laughs> Don't worry, I can burn this one and we'll have plenty of ammunition for that movie. But, like, it's the sense, like, I mean, Terry Hatcher was just a terrible choice for a Bond girl. She was popular because she's a, she's extremely attractive and, you know, she was on Lois and Clark and that was a really big show and she was sort of like the it girl. She was on Seinfeld, it was a whole thing. But, like, the fact that she had a relationship with him you know, and it it ended weird or didn't like you know it, it ended badly. Was never as interesting as the couple of times that he you know he's talking to um uh uh, uh talking to 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 I can't quite get it out again to Money Penny, and you know she's totally in control of the of of the flirt. You know? Right, it's her. Yeah, like she's the, she's dictating it to him. Yeah, and that's the, in it's the only woman besides M that he has that where he is subservient to that person. And in with with Money Penny, you know, it's a light-hearted, sexually charged banter that he's being shut down and it's because you're right, she sees right through him. And she says, like, you're a broken person. And, uh, you know, there's no way anything that we had or, or ha- that we could have would be remotely fulfilling in any sort of mature way. And so, no, sir. Like, this is right. fun, but then that's the end of it. And yeah, that's really like, complex. Right. His, all of his skills in that department don't work because what he's attempting to do, if assuming he was, like, actually going to go for it, 
is not what she was wanting. And it's the same reason it works really well with Q in all of these scenes with him. You know, I'm going to pretend to be this dummy who like, you know, like, whoa, how many clicks of the pen was it? Where like he's acting immature and Q's like, oh, 007, can't you ever do anything right? You know, because they have, they're, they're not on the same level. Like they're not really talking about the same things. And the joke is always that he never brings back the gear. <laughs> like he always either leaves it or destroys everything. But they're not really mad about it. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things where like you have the dumb idiot friend in your fraternity. <laughs> and you kind of put up with him and you're like, oh, God, he always wrecks the watch I give him, you know. But you know he's a good guy and and he does what he needs to do and you do what you need to do. Like. Those really, those are the deepest relationships he has with people. Yeah, when he's out in the field. All those other things are under Bond's control because he keeps them all at arm's length. You know, like the mission is what comes first. Yeah, yeah. and it's you know it's sort of like you know like that was a thing too that I didn't really care for with Daniel Craig. And looking back at it, like you know when he's back at HQ and you know everyone sort of knows the score they know his you know his mo and like his his behavior is yeah i think like yeah i think like the fret brother mentality you know is or point of view is is a good one is that like they know he's capable they know he's you know he's good at what he does but he's also like they they know his bullshit and they're not they're they're, they're not going to put up with it and you know, the old M was very deferential to Bond, and the, and the new one is not. And they they accuse her of being a bean counter, um, you know, which is a very British thing. Like that's like that's one of the most like the most British things about this is that like they're worried about the money. And let's say my my favorite line from 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 Casino Royale is when you know Bond asks Felix about the money. He goes, "Does it, does it look like we need the money?" You know, yeah. like that's just just such a just such a great line. And like the British are concerned about it because they're not as wealthy a country as um, as the U.S. is. And so, but yeah, like in the in the the Daniel Craig Bonds, like the time, like. Between the first Bond movie and the last Bond movie that involves Pierce Brosnan, there's only four of them, but you don't feel like a lot of time has passed, and which is funny because like you know Pierce Brosnan ages a great deal in the time, and so like he looks very different between the, the like the four films. Um, but for Daniel Craig, it's it seems like it's like an age. It's like you know it's so long that, that you know from Casino Royale to, to No Time uh, to Die. It's like forty years go by, and he goes from being like a, a young pup to being basically retired. You know, right. and, you know, he's he's a whole career, and like, yeah, it was a long time. But the way that uh, you know they play off the fact that M has her favorites, and it used to be Silva in Skyfall, and now it's Bond, and sort of the deference that she gives to him in those movies, um, is uh. Is just it's a very different M than you get here, you know. Like it's he he's a different character when he's back at at you know at the headquarters than he is in the field, and that again that makes him you know more a, a more complex character. It doesn't really carry through to the rest of his movies. I mean, like, this really is a one-off. The rest of them go, you know, 
the full Merlin pretty quickly. Like it's not, yeah, there's not much full Merlin. No, <laughs> but, but you know, and like, I love Jonathan price, but the way that he just choose the scenery in the next movie is yeah, so ridiculous a, that it's a shame. The noticeable, the noticeable drop off in, in quality. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, which is what I think that is unfair to this one in that, for some reason, his movies get lumped together like that. Yeah. Like, that doesn't happen to the other ones. They're like, well, Skyfall was great, but Quantum of Solace was bad, and, um, you know, Octopussy was great, but this one was bad. And I'm like, what? but why do we always just go, and then the Pierce Brosnan ones were not great. I'm like, no, GoldenEye is the best. GoldenEye yeah. is the best one. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I can go down the list again if you'd like, <laughs> you know, or you can and rewind I, and hear this again. But, yeah. you know, I, I agree that Die Another Day was not the cinematic tour de force we were hoping for. <laughs> but do not diminish the accomplishments of Martin Campbell and the, and the other rest of this film. Yeah. You know, like I watched it again last night. The fight scene between him and the bad guy at the end where they have like a knockdown knockdown drag out fight for two minutes is great they just beat the crap out of each other yeah. i'm sitting there like wow this is really good and really well edited you know it, how come this doesn't happen in any other bond movie no i mean the, the practical effects the stunts the you know it just it, the you could not have found a better director for this i mean martin campbell is just you know, I can't think of much more that he's done. He's done two of these Bond movies. He's done uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, and then the Green Lantern, which is like, hey, let's take a guy who's known for you know m- making films with like practical effects and stunts, and will well, he, did, he didn't do he didn't do Monte Cristo. He did no, Zorro. He, Zorro. I'm sorry, I always confuse yeah. the two. Which was also really, which good. was also fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I I love that. I mean, the sequel wasn't very good, but. Yeah, but like whatever. <laughs> First Zara movie is fantastic. He he made Edge of Darkness too with um Mel Gibson that like I've wanted to see and I sort of never you know never got to it. Um, he's got a couple of stinkers in there like Vertical Limit. Yeah, with he's the, not perfect. Who was in that movie? Uh, okay, Chris O'Donnell and Bill Paxton for Christ's sakes. But not much um, to work with there. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, no, he's got. You know, he's got a a bunch of really solid films under his Like, The Mask of Zorro is just, that's a great movie. Like, as far as action movies go, and taking an old property that really, movie's way better than it has any right to be, considering what yeah. the, the source material that they're working with, you know. It's just, yeah, it's ridiculous. But um, I also... So And, like, this was also a big change in, like for, like, the look of Bond, too. They They kind of shed a lot of um, like the old, like, like it's no longer the Aston Martin. Now they have a contract with BMW. Um, Rolex apparently decided they didn't want to give away their watches. Like that was always a thing. Was that? Does uh, he have an Omega? Yeah, so he has an Omega, which is I don't know why the British say it like that. It's an Omega. So he has the Omega Seamaster three hundred, mm-hmm. which is uh, became a very famous watch after this movie because it was it was both a prop and a and a like you know um, a gadget, um, and so yeah, so the, you know, they got involved. And um, I'm trying to think what else was like a thing. 
But like that, but like the car and the watch was a big deal. Like the watch was always that changed every so often. So like originally it was a Rolex Submariner because he was supposed to be in the Navy, and a Submariner was it was a watch that you wore for diving. That was like the first thing that that's what made Rolex famous was they invented a watch called the Oyster Perpetual, and it was it was. The first watch that you could submerge under underwater, it, it had a gasket in it that would that would prevent water from getting into the housing, and screwing with the, uh, 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 with the gears. And some lady was going to sw- swim the the English Channel, and it, they gave her one of their watches to say, "Hey, you can take this with you, and it it won't break. It'll work the whole time." P- people actually have a weird uh, lack of understanding of just how relatively new the um, the battery powered watches, like I think it's a weird misunderstanding. I think people don't care. <laughs> no, they do because like they they, they kind of look around and go, well, why are these watches so much money? And you know, and like well, up until very recently, as recently as the nineteen eighties, every watch was like this. Every watch was a mechanical watch, and they were all pretty crappy. But Rolex made ones that were really good. But like the market was such that. You know, you could either spend two hundred bucks in nineteen sixty, which was a lot of money, you know, for a Rolex, or a little, a little less than that for any other crappy mechanical watch. But they all functioned the same way. Now, you know, you can buy a watch for eight dollars that'll outlast any Rolex that you could buy because it's just so simple. It's just it's a very basic thing. Um, but so. In addition to having the Rolex as like the start, they they also went to like whatever was new and fashionable at the time. So you know when the Pulsar came out, I think it was the Hamilton Pulsar. It was the first digital watch, but it was like LED, it was like lit from behind, like your you know like a nineteen eighties clock radio. And you know he wore that on his wrist in like one of the um, other Roger Moore ones. And there's like a Casio here with the calculator, and there's a few other gadgets. But they went back to you know something sort of bespoke and mechanical for this one but they uh, but 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 Rolex didn't want to give away the watches they wanted the they wanted to um to sell them to the production company and they're like I don't know we don't want to drop 10 grand or whatever it was for one of these watches it's not it wasn't that much money but yeah you have to you have to buy a whole bunch of them and they went to Omega and they went yeah you can take a bunch we don't care <laughs> like it's just free advertising for us oh right yeah you know be stupid not to and they've been around forever, Omega. They're not a new watch company. This eighteen something or other, but they were not as well known as um, as Rolex, and so they were, you know, they were happy to give them a few watches to, you know, to get the brand out there. And it's featured very, you know, very prominently mm. in it. Um, uh, but we sh- but we should wrap up by talking about the uh, the song, uh, Tina Turner. Written by Bono and the Edge. Yeah, it was pretty good. I think it might be my favorite of the Bond songs. Hmm. Really? Not Skyfall. Skyfall. It's yeah. It's a toss up at, at, at some point. Like I, Skyfall is probably better, but there's something like stupid dramatic about this song. That like you know the whole like slow dun 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 dun, like it just it's just it, it has an old school feel to it. It does. It, it, it's very '90s in that regard, like, like kind of electric, like you said before about the score. 
Like it has this sort of like synthetic sound to it that you know is reminiscent. And then Tina Turner, who at at the, at the time was like sixty years old when she's yeah when she sang this song. Like like she looked like she looked in Thunderdome, but like every day, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No. She. Uh, yeah. No, that was a good. That was a good one. And like I, I generally. So I liked this song a lot. The the one for Tour Never Dies was that that was garbage. The band Garbage. Oh yeah, Garbage. That's yeah, right. that that wasn't wasn't so good. And and then I don't Cheryl remember. Crow Ed, did one. Cheryl Crow. Oh no, Cheryl Crow was was Tour Never Dies. And then then Garbage oh, was garbage. The World Is Not Enough. The World Is Not Enough. And then of course Madonna did the. Uh, uh, that's right, Madonna did Die Another Day. Die Another Day, which was. Talk about of its time. That was like you know Madonna's like half rapping phase that she was in. Uh, yeah, that was like late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, that's dated. Yeah, that was that really didn't didn't hold up. Tina, Tina Turner has like a a pretty timeless kind of voice to it, you know. Yeah, and I think that's what I liked about it was that it reminded me of like Shirley Bassey or or Bassett rather, um, and like some of these older. You know, gold finger. Like it has like a like a uh, you know like a retro twang to it. Yeah, that soulful a, black I mean, a twang. Lot, a lot of her songs came out in the eighties, but they don't feel like they're of the eighties. Not all of them, anyway. Yeah, you know, which which is a nice skill to have. I, I know our father always really liked Tina Turner. It was one of those that sort of slipped in somehow, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, Tina Turner." And you're like, "What, Tina Turner?" <laughs> Our father didn't listen to anything past 1967. Yeah. So when he would say things like that, he'd be like, how did that happen? <laughs> really, Dad? Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh, I uh, I love Rod Stewart. I'm like, you do? <laughs> yeah. It was always <laughs> funny when, 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 like, because, like, Dad would mostly just played like, American standards in the cars. We just assumed that all he liked was, like, Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra. And then, like, he, I, I saw, like, he had a bunch of Beatles CDs. I'm like, hey, you like the Beatles? Which, which was stupid because everyone likes the Beatles. Well, yeah, everyone likes the Beatles. Because <laughs> they're the Beatles. But he's like, yeah. I he's like, what's the matter with you? Of course I like the Beatles. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you never heard him play any of the music. Right, it's like, well, yeah. never heard you, you don't talk about it. or <laughs> so, <laughs> it's the whole Tina Turner, really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue. Yeah, so. But no, I, I, I mean the the lyrics. If you listen to them, make no sense. Like, and I know that like the song doesn't necessarily have to, you know, be thematically connected to the movie. But it really like you know, it helps. you you never knew I watched you from the shadows as a child. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, what? What are you? Who watched who? Like, it's just. Could you repeat that? <laughs> It just didn't make any sense, and uh, yeah, so it was very bizarre. But but it's just so, something about it. Just I don't know. It just it it it, it worked really well, and it, it was it was it, it kind of grabs you right right at the, at the beginning, you know. So yeah, well, it has a great opening. This movie, it really does. I mean, like that that jump off the bridge is just phenomenal. Like it's and and like I like how it's. It's a quiet thing. Like, I think that might be my my favorite thing about this movie is like, 
you you could have a big explosive start to things um like you know what's it called um casino royale has a pretty loud opening bit in the black and white and i love that opening bit in the in you know, like it's all super quiet and it's in like it's in it's for some reason it's not in color you're not sure why um but there's the 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 juxtaposition of the quiet him stalking the guy in his office to to then shoot him and then um the fight in the bathroom which is like vicious and like you know you you get a very good sense of who the character is but it's a loud opening and this is just a guy quietly just running and then jumping off of a dam and like we all knew back then there wasn't a way to fake that like the way that it was shot and the fact that we didn't have any CGI at the time you knew that they jumped that guy off a goddamn dam yeah but then there's also the part where he chases after the airplane <laughs> yeah that's true so yeah like so the airplane is going over the side of the cliff and he's like on the motorcycle and he you know chases after it and they both go over the cliff and he like jumps into the plane as it's falling and has to pull it up yeah. all the guys are like ah he must be dead by now you know and obviously there's cuts and everything but a lot of that stuff was real and you're like wow this is you know you know he's gonna make it the movie just started but it's still suspenseful it was just yeah. so well done that that is the like the one, one. yeah that but that is yeah. like the one point where it's like okay when he's like falling at, at the same time as the plane it's clearly him hanging off of a rope with like a thing moving behind him to simulate the fact that he's going 100 miles an hour down you know like like it's an episode of fraggle rock <laughs> <laughs> just moving the background behind him on a roller you know <laughs> it's exactly what episode of fraggle rock yeah, that's what they did. But it wasn't very long. It's and and he, and he and he sells it. Like he gra- he gets in the thing and he grabs onto the stick and he's pulling on it and he's sweating, you know, like you have to sell this shit and 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 he did. It's the best Bond movie. It's the best Bond movie. <laughs> it it's, really is. You know, like for a while I was like maybe it's Casino Royale and then I went back and thought about it. No, this is just more interesting. Like it's it's more deeply complex. It has more layers. It it has moments where you can you can breathe where it's funny, and it has those those moments in the middle of tension, like you know that with that squeaky thing when they shoots the guy. I mean, or the, there's a great scene where he's running, he's with the girl, and they're like trying to escape the Russian prison or wherever the hell they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they they oh, frame oh, for murdering in the archives, yeah, and they're in the archives, and like he has to swing across the bookshelves and stuff like that. So he takes his belt off because it has a grappling hook inside of it. And she stares at him like he's insane. <laughs> and he looks at her and like, he just smiles and he goes, trust me. He says <laughs> like, he doesn't sit there and be like, you know, explain to her what he's doing or anything. He just pours on the charm and goes, I don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. You know, I'm just going to take my belt off of my extremely expensive suit. And we're going to be okay. <laughs> just like that's that's just something that James Bond would do. And and like he does it in such a way, like he says, trust me. And he's not necessarily charming her at that point. But it's, it's kind of like a half smile as if to be almost annoyed that like, you know, somebody would, like wouldn't quite get like, yeah, of course your belt has a, you know, a grappling hook in it. It makes perfect sense. And so, you know, it's just the way that he, you know, like, it, it, like it's fine. No, don't, don't, don't worry about it. 
Like I've right. got this. Like it's it, it's almost like annoyance at the fact that it, that he has to right. even just, acknowledge what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, like he's not like trying to seduce her. They're being shot at. It's it's just this like this but is like, my but like my Roger Moore would have been like it's okay come with me honey it would have been way right. over the top and, and they would have like hugged her and like gave her a kiss on the cheek or something and she would have swooned it, like it's not the movie's not being goofy that's just his personality he, he's a little immature that way you know. <laughs> This is the yeah. way he handles a stressful situation. Yeah. It's great. It's I mean, the best. And what's funny about Pierce Brosnan is that also that like he was supposed to do this before Timothy Dalton. That was the whole thing. The old Remington Steel clause. Yeah, he, <laughs> he couldn't get out of his contract. He had a contract, I think, with CBS to make a very mediocre and I thought clever. Um, like it was one of the more clever. It was it wasn't really a sitcom. It was like a crime drama. But for those of you who don't know, he, he it was a TV show called Remington Steel, and he was the like the like he was the main character. It was it was a do he was a title character, and I believe the show was about a woman writer who um oh no a woman who like I forget oh, I'm trying to think I knew the premise of this show and it's like she was. A writer and invented the character she's, of Remington Steel, and like no, she's a PI. Oh, she's a PI, and oh, and she's and but they she doesn't hire her because she's a woman. She's a woman, so she pretends to be like the secretary, and he shows up one day and like just starts being. He's like, oh, I'm I'm Remington Steel, and she's like, what? Is that is that is that what it was, or or did she hire him right. to like like she comes up with with someone that like. A fake name so she's like oh well my boss remington steel like he he sends me on missions so people will hire her and then pierce brosnan finds out that she's made up a fake name and so he like threatens her and is like well pay me and i'll be remington steel for you right okay and so she kind of like takes him around with her on all, all of her missions and stuff yeah so. and and then from there he got so like he couldn't get 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 out of that contract, and then he kind of vanished off the face of the earth. No one heard about him for a while until Mrs. Doubtfire. He came. Uh, he, yeah, he was he, back he, in Mrs. Doubtfire. That that was like his second big break was was Mrs. Doubtfire, and uh, and then from that they you know he he got Bond and that but he was in he was in conversations for for Bond for like years before they actually make because they always wanted to catch you know to cast a relative unknown you know something like somebody who was famous enough but not but you know but not too famous that was that was always the the big thing with them and he was tall he's like you've met him right you 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 were in hawaii and you Um, actually ran into him yeah he was old i mean he's old now yeah he's not as tall as he looks he's not as tall as i am no he's not that tall was like he's over six feet, which is in Hollywood yeah. is still pretty tall. Most m- most actors are usually below six feet. But um, they d- didn't somebody like come up to him and say, "Aren't you James Bond?" And he said, "Yeah, yes. you know, <laughs> we're on the edge of the cliff on this like on this Hawaiian island, and it's obvious he wants to be alone." I just saw him from across the way. I'm like, "Hey, that's Pierce Brosnan. He looks pretty good." And like people were going up to him, and you could tell he was like, "Get the hell away from me." I mean, you couldn't be farther away from most people in civilization, and uh, yeah. but you know, he—he's—he's uh, he's a good-looking guy. He stands out, even though he's, you know, yeah. he's in his sixties, I believe now. Oh, at least yeah, 69, no. 670. He's—he's, he's, but he's a good-looking guy. So, 
And you're always like, hey, <laughs> there's James Bond. For for a lot of people, this is their James Bond. Yeah, I mean, for I mean, for us, this is this was our first introduction to the to the whole shebang in any sort of meaningful way. Yeah. You know, great video game. <laughs> great video game. I had all the cheats in that video game. I cannot tell you how many hours it took. You had to earn them? Is that how you it had works? To, you had to earn them. You had to finish certain levels in a certain time limit on certain difficulties. So, like, the harder ones to earn, like, you know, to be invincible took, like, get through this level under two minutes or something. <laughs> I used yeah. to run them like I would, like an Olympian running laps. It was ridiculous. But I did it. You never take that away from me if you I, ever wanted to. <laughs> if you... <laughs> <laughs> I remember like trying to get through that whole first um level in the uh, in the facility without letting somebody else fire a shot. Like I remember like running around and trying to get everyone cuz like you know like the patterns were always very predictable. You had to get through the facility in 2 minutes and 5 seconds. It was something really ridiculous. Like you yeah. just blow past everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good game. You know, Many a pasta party was uh, spent playing that. Oh yeah, and then, like I mean, it was the first one to too. I think I think the big thing about it, yeah, it was the, there was the realism thing, but like it had an an arena mode for the for the multiplayer, which I think that was what was the most unique about it at the time. It was, was the first one that was like that for a console, so like casual people like you and me could do a game like that. You know, if you were a computer dork, you were probably doing it already. But it was not easy to do on these machines. They they were low powered machines, and the the sixty four had the four slots built into it. That's right. Yeah. So if everybody had a controller, you could just plug it in, and like it, it brought that kind of casual arena killing each other game to to people who didn't want to figure out how many gigabytes they needed to play a video game. So yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. good stuff. Good times. All right. Well, if you would like to argue with us on Twitter or Instagram about why we're wrong about any of the things we just said, you can do so. If you find us, we are at Three Drinks in Pod on both of those platforms. Uh, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or uh, or or Amazon Music. Uh, make sure that you leave ratings and reviews. We'd really appreciate that. Buy our merchandise over at Tee Public, and you can email us if you'd like to at three drinks in podcast at gmail.com. Anything else? Yeah, I think that's it. All right. As always, please drink responsibly, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Reflections on the water, more than darkness in the depths. See him surface and never a shadow. On the wind, I feel his breath. Golden eye, I found his weakness. Golden eye, he'll do what I please. Golden eye. Sweetness, but a bitter kiss will bring him to his knees. You'll never know how I watched you from the shadows as a child. You'll
other girls they gather around him if i had him i wouldn't let him out golden eye not lace or leather golden chain taken to the spot golden eye i'll show him forever it'll take forever to see Shadows as a child You'll never know How it feels To get so close And be denied 